Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you have set us free. God, I, I, I recognize if we could just pass the microphone around to people in this congregation, and even those that are watching online, the testimony that you have brought us from and, and what you've called us out of, Lord, man, that's awesome. When the sun sets free, is free indeed. Thank you that we're free people because you gave your life for us, and we are eternally grateful. Thank you. Change us this morning to be more like you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Yeah, come on. That's good, man. That's good. I know some of you guys are like, oh, man, Greg, we sing the song. We don't have to repeat the song. I know how some of you guys are on Spotify or Apple Music. You listen to the same song over and over and over again. You'll get a little rewind in there just to hear your favorite part. At least I know I do. That's all good, man. We can proclaim the goodness of the Lord. Yes? Tell somebody around you, testify God is good. Go ahead and tell them hello. Say thanks for being here. If you're watching with us online, thank you for streaming with us. You are a part of us this morning here at the Creek. You creakers and you guests with us this morning, yeah, praise the Lord. It's good to see uh, Dr. Rafa and Mike here uh, from Ecuador. They made it back this, I guess, yesterday, so praise the Lord. We can't wait to hear their stories and testimonies of God's goodness and, and everything. I appreciate them being here. I bet they wanted to stay in their nice comfy beds and all that kind of stuff, you know, after being in Ecuador week, but we're, we are glad they are here this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you this morning or a Bible app on your phone, let's go to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to read some scriptures there and then a secondary text that I'm going to use as well is Psalm 122, so you can be prepared to, to look uh, in, in either way. Creek Notes are in the back of the bulletin. If you're online, you can go and download the Creek Notes to follow along on our website, osocreek.org. Also, make sure you guys check. We started the, the little up in the, you turn the page in the bulletin and upper left corner, we're calling that the pastor's corner. Very important information. Check it out and read it. It's all good. Sound okay? Thank you. I'm glad. Hey, somebody's awake over here in this vicinity, and that's awesome. I like it. Look, gang, we have a problem in America. Now, I'm, I'm very specifically talking about America, and you may say, Greg, that's the most understated thing you could probably say for this entire year, right? Listen, we've got a very specific, specific problem, one that's super shocking, one that's super alarming, and it's this. Church attendance across the board has over the last quite a few years, the trend is going down as far as consistency. Consistency. One of the biggest churches in America recently, quite a few years ago, they did a survey. Now, this is a church that has like seven campuses all across the nation. It's lifechurch.tv. Pastor Craig Greshel. How many of you guys have you heard of him? Okay. A few of you have. They did this massive, extensive survey to find out how often, you know, people went to church and what people considered as regular church attendance. Think to yourself what that might be, you know. The survey came back that most people considered regular church attendance as being once a month. 
Once a month. That was the basic answer. Once a month was regular church attendance. 12 times out of 52 weeks. That's about 23% of the church calendar year. That's attending church 23% out of 100% was considered regular church attendance. An article in Outreach Magazine backs up this statistic with a survey that they performed as well. They also found out that people typically attend church about 12 times a year. About a quarter of the percentage of Americans show up at least three out of eight Sundays, okay? And this article in Outreach Magazine said there's like this halo effect in America that people think that they go to church more regularly than they do. So we've been in this series that I've called The Starting Line. We've talked about racing, we've talked about building, being refreshed and replenished. I'm, I'm going to be closing up this series in the next few weeks but I felt it very important to talk about this this morning as well, this fact about church attendance and things, and, and it's going to be good, don't worry, it's, it's going to be all good, because this is a new chapter and we're all trying to get on the same page and start this thing together. And so what I think is, you know, I, I question, when I see stats like this, I, I question, have we lost the value of coming to church have we lost the significance of why we gather weekly and we gather in life groups? Have we lost the importance of what this means? Have we lost the benefit? Do we not realize the benefit that we get in coming to church? So the first text that I want us to read is the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Many theologians and commentators, biblical scholars, think that the Apostle Paul wrote Hebrews, as, as do I. But listen to what the author says. And, and, and verse 25, you know, quite a few of you have most likely have heard this, probably even have it memorized. The author writes, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I was so pumped and excited this morning as I watched and observed people coming in and shaking hands and saying hi. And you're, what you're doing, when you do that, you're stirring each other up. You know that? You're stirring each other up. When you talk at the end, when you meet in life groups, all these kinds of things, you're stirring each other up. Verse 25, this is a command not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. It's interesting that the author puts that in there. Some weren't gathering. They were neglecting it, okay? That's the author's words. So not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What a statement. What a command encouraging one another to gather together, to meet together, okay? Now look, I, I tread lightly on this subject this morning because I understand what kind of world we live in, how busy we all are now, how there's pool and there's tug and there's work and there's obligations and there's things that we're, we're committed to and we've got to get to, okay? I know how hectic this life is, how we are all still in, within the city limits of COVID town and that's still affecting a lot of people. But I pray that this message this morning is an examination of our heart. It's an examination of our purpose this morning. And I understand you guys are here. So go ahead and pat yourself on the shoulder. 
pat somebody else on the shoulder. I don't care. That's okay. You too, if you're streaming online because you're with us. I'm like speaking to the choir, all right, as the old phrase goes. But even for us this morning, all of us that are here, you online, I want this to be a reminder of why we do this thing called church. I want this message to be an encouragement to consistently continue doing this thing we call church and then a challenge to commit to it on this starting line as we're starting off this new chapter, okay? Because as a pastor, I never want anybody to have the attitude regarding gathering together each week as, I'll just take it or leave it this week. Maybe we'll go, maybe we won't go. If I'm feeling like it, if I got nothing else to do, then maybe we'll go. I'll just shrug it off my shoulder, it's no big deal. As a pastor, I never want gathering together just to become routine or maybe out of obligation or a sense of duty, you know, the the time card. It's my spiritual time card, God. Punch in, punch out. I did my weekly spiritual obligation of coming to church, okay? Instead, I want God to rebirth something in all of our hearts, rebirth a delight in our hearts about the mere mention and the mere thought of getting to come together and worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then throughout the week, to get to go to life groups to where we can sharpen each other and stir each other up to love and good works, as our text says. And, and, and this rebirth, this delight, what, what, what I would like to see in our hearts is example in our second text that David, the famous king, Israelite king in the Old Testament, look at the exuberance that, ex, that is exclaimed by David in Psalm 122, verse 1, just one verse. David wrote, I was glad, no, no, good choice of words. I was glad, not I was morose, I was bored, you know, I, I, I was dragged to, you know, uh, some of you students, you probably feel like you're here this morning, you're like, my mom and dad made me come, you know. <laughs> you got a good mom and dad, all right, so yeah. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language. And the Hebrew word for glad that David is riding with means to be full of cheer. It's to be cheered up, to have joy. It's a cause for celebration, a cause to rejoice. So David was like, man, at the very mention or the thought of getting to go to the house of the Lord, I was joyful. I'm full of cheer. I can rejoice. That described you this morning? <laughs> Heart check, <laughs> right? You woke up and you're like, yes, it's church time. <laughs> High five in your wife or your husband. You're getting the kids up. It's church time. Let's go. Cheerful. Maybe, maybe not. Okay. David was a happy camper when it was decided to go to the house of the Lord. Why? Why was he so joyful? we can learn in context of the Israelite people why and what was going on. In the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the temple of God was located in the blessed city of Jerusalem. And the temple was the central place of worship. And the Jewish people celebrated three festivals annually 
that were called pilgrimage festivals. These festivals required all the men, every male Israelite, to travel to Jerusalem where the temple was located to worship and offer sacrifices. And the families would travel with the men as well. So on these three annual festivals, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jewish people would make these pilgrimages to Jerusalem and to the temple from all over where they were living, all of their tribes, okay? And as they were on this journey... On these pilgrimage, they would sing Psalms 120, verse 1 through, or 120 through chapters 134 over and over and over again. This group of Psalms, chapters 120 through 134, is aptly called the Psalms of Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T. Our text in Psalms is part of the Psalms of Ascent because Jerusalem was kind of up and as they were going, they would ascend to Jerusalem. They would sing these Psalms over and over again. Maybe you can picture it this morning, okay? There's this large company of people approaching the city of Jerusalem. It's a group of people from distant tribes and they have traveled many miles to get there. They are hastening, they are yearning to get the grant to get to the grand city of Jerusalem for one of these festivals. They are singing very joyously, very loud. Even though the journey's been long, it's been tedious, they're probably very weary, okay? And, and as they begin to approach, you can make out the words sung in one chorus. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. There was a great anticipation. They didn't approach these pilgrimages like, okay, we got to do it again. Come on, guys, get your stuff, get the cot. Get the donkey, the camel, whatever. Come on, let's go. Make sure we have coffee, please. Okay. Now, they looked forward to these things. And they would sing these psalms over and over again. How many of you have been on vacation before? <laughs> Anywhere. You've traveled? Quite a few of you? Okay. All right. You, you kind of you picture, you know, you, you've been traveling for a long time, 10, 12, 13, 16 hours, you know, and when we lived in, in, in the Midwest and Megan's family lived in New Mexico and we lived either one, we're 23 and a half hours one way, okay? You better believe when we got near the destination, we're just like, I can almost see the end. You know, you've been there, you know, you've been traveling all day. Kids are yelling, pulling your hair out. One kid puked in the back seat, you know, all, all kinds of craziness, right? You're almost there and you're like, there it is. We're almost there. That's, that's how the Jewish people were as they saw the city. They saw the gates, okay? Great anticipation would fill their hearts. Theologian J. Vernon McGee writes it like this. These weary pilgrims, after their long journeys, would stand at last in the gates of their beloved Jerusalem. They lift their eyes to the temple. There it stands with its shining gold glittering in the bright sunlight. A glad cry passes from lip to lip. Let us go to the house of the Lord. They weren't just satisfied with getting to Jerusalem, they wanted to go to the temple. That was their whole purpose in going, is to get to the temple to worship God. It brought them such joy, a profound happiness, a rejoicing, a celebration. These pilgrimages were the highlights of their year. And man, as a pastor, I would, I would love it if we just, if coming together was the highlights of our week. I get it, there's ball games and ball clubs and PTA and 
all kinds of stuff. But man, wouldn't it be awesome if this was the highlight of our way? This was the crown. As brothers and sisters, redeemed, made free in Christ, we get to come together. David loved coming to the house of the Lord. His heart pounded with excitement. I ask, does that describe you personally? You guys sitting here listening this morning, you all watching online. Do you rejoice at the opportunity to get to come to the house of the Lord? Does your heart pound with excitement and eager anticipation, right? Is your heart drawn to come together with other brothers and sisters to worship God? It should, and if it doesn't, ask yourself, why? Maybe you don't realize the value and the significance and the importance and the benefit. I feel, sadly, that far too many come into the house of the Lord as anything but a joy. For some, it's, it's become a hassle. Oh, I got to get the kids awake. I got to get the kids dressed. And they fight me. I got to get them fed. And it's just a, a big hassle, Greg, to get the kids here. You don't know what we go through every morning. <laughs> hey, I got two little girls, too. And I hear Megan and stuff as I'm getting ready to get here early, Right. Even on the way, Greg, we're fighting and arguing. I think it's funny how most uh, that hits almost every Christian family. You know, you're, you're driving, you're here on the van. You guys hush up. You guys be quiet. Stop fighting with your sister. Sorry, you get on the church grounds. Oh, time to be holy, you know. Don't let anybody know we're arguing. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then you come in and you get your worship on, you know, and then it's, it's all that kind of stuff, right? Some people view this as it's, it, it's coming in takes away from your day off from work. For some, church is just merely tradition. It's routine. It's something that you have to do. And David was a man who truly enjoyed being in God's presence with God's people. And that's what it's all about at its core, at its essence, why we gather here on Sunday mornings. But you may ask, okay, listen, why? Why is it important? Why the necessity? Why attend church at all, Greg? I know we've been doing this for thousands of years, it seems like. Why, why do we do this? Some would call this an institution of man. Not placing a high value on it and stuff, okay? Well, let's examine the reasons. I got eight reasons this morning, okay? And you may say, oh my good, eight reasons. No, they'll be quick, okay? They'll be quick. Tell somebody, they'll be quick. It's all right, all right. Eight reasons why I want us to be encouraged, reminded, and challenged. This is a different type of message. I understand that, and that's okay. Here's the first reason. You can, you can fill in the blanks on the creek notes, okay? And this one is of utmost importance. El numero uno, okay? The top one of them all. Jesus himself established and commissioned the church. This is from Jesus, gang. This is from the Son of God. The Son of God, okay? He established and commissioned the church. Before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he told his followers to go and make disciples in Matthew 28. The church is referred to as an analogy in Ephesians 5 as the bride of Christ. We are his bride. For starters, this is huge. 
Christ loves his bride. He's returning for his bride. Now, I get it. All the believers all over the world, we make up, you know, in, in, in total, the bride of Christ. But there are aspects of his bride gathering all over the world. It's the church. It's the church, gang. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, the Apostle Paul writing really shows how much Jesus loves the church. He uses Christ's love for the church as a challenge to husbands. Paul writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This loves the church. Hello? This is important. Don't you want to love and get excited about what Christ loves? Look, Jesus loved being in church so much that when he was 12 years old and his family made one of these, uh, one of these annual pilgrimages, as the family left, when the festival was over, they're all having a good time, you know, traveling. All of a sudden, Mary looks around. Joseph, have you seen Jesus? Jesus, uh, no, no, not around. They start, you know, they probably got real anxious about how any parent would do their, where's Jesus, where's Jesus, where's Jesus? They had to go all the way back to Jerusalem. Guess where Jesus was? In the temple. And you can say, uh, Mary is like, Jesus, what are you doing? You know, that kind of thing. Don't you know we left you? And Jesus is like, wouldn't you know this is where I would be? Not my father's business? Can read this all, all in um, Luke chapter 2. Jesus is like, family, you guys can go. I'm going to stay here in the church, <laughs> pretty much. Okay? These next scriptures aren't in your creek notes, but write them down. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writes, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the head of the church. And in Matthew 16 and 18, I quoted the scripture a couple of weeks ago. Jesus says to Apostle Peter, he says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means little rock, and upon this rock, big rock, massive rock, speaking of himself, he says, I will build my church. This thing is important to Jesus, guys. Jesus is all about the church because he started it, he loved it, he's coming back for it, it's that important. And when we treat church with indifference, what's our heart saying to Jesus? Ah, take it or leave it today. I won't miss anything. It's not important. I'm too busy, I'm too tired. Come on. What's that saying to Jesus? What's that saying to Jesus? The second point of importance for the church, if number one wasn't enough, that God's here. Did you guys hear me? God is here. His presence is made known here at church. I know, we know that God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. Yet we see very specifically in the Old Testament and New Testament that his presence would be found in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, in the temple of the New Testament, his presence was at the mercy seat, right in the middle of the Ark of the Covenant. Looking, there is something so special about God's presence in church gatherings. God visits us here, corporately, together in wonderful ways that are different than when we're alone or as individuals when we're having our own quiet time and personal devotions, okay? 
There are corporate blessings and moves of God's presence that are different than when you are by yourself. When we gather together, God gives us extraordinary tokens of his presence, as H. Melville states. And in Matthew chapter 18, verses 19 through 20, perhaps Jesus is foreshadowing the church here. Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Jesus is here right now. When you guys meet in your life groups, Jesus is there. Why? Because there's two or three of you gathering. And Jesus has promised, if two or three will gather in my name, I'm going to be there. And gathering in a, in a context like this in church, it's a wonderful place to hear the bread of life expounded on. The word of God is preached, it's taught, it's discussed, and by it we're going to learn, we're going to grow, we're going to change in the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. We are becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. That's very, very important. I need this consistently in my life. Whether you recognize it or not, so do you. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3 in the Old Testament, the prophet records, And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that's the tabernacle and the temple, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. So we come, so we're taught. God's ways, so we can walk in the paths of the Lord. The third reason or point of why church is so important, and it's very, it's getting more and more, this is getting more and more vital as each day passes by. Just as Zion or Jerusalem was the source and the very center of religious truth in the Old and New Testaments, fast forward to today, now the church is the center of religious truth to the world around it because it's where God's word is taught and proclaimed and exegeted. Take it verse by verse by verse by verse. Look, the world conveys a system of thought that's so contrary to God. It's so contrary to God's word. And the church, it's, it's, the, it's the bulwark, okay, against the world's system, against the world's design, and against the world's thoughts. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And that's why we take precious effort to speak God's word here on Sunday mornings. Precious effort. And, and, and no matter who will fill this pulpit, we're going to make sure that they are expounding on God's word, not their opinion, not the, not, not the, the most political rhetoric or the most popular stuff. No, what God's word says. Because that's the bulwark against the world's system, the world's thought, the world's design. And so you take what we do on Sunday morning and then you, you put that together with your individual Bible studies on version or any other Bible study that you might be doing and then you put that together with the life groups and all of that equals change. 
Disciples are being made. You know, hashtag change happens, okay? That's very, very important. The church holds the power of reformation. The church is the caretaker of truth. The church can be seen as the moral compass for our culture and community because of God's word. I understand the church, there's factions that can get super political and that can have an agenda that can be, but that, those are the outliers. The church established, founded by Christ, loved by Christ, that is teaching God's word is the moral compass for our community and culture, okay? And if done right, the church can counter the world's ideologies and philosophies and thinking, okay? Thus setting up that holy standard of right and wrong and morality according to God's word. Number four, another great example of church gathering See, we're already halfway through there. And I, I love this one, and, and you, many of you get this part, but it's there, there's community here. There, there's community here. This is so important. It's so important for the body of Christ. Part of David's joy that we read in our text in Psalm, okay, was not just getting to the house of the Lord, but celebrating with the community of his fellow Israelites. But look around this morning. I know some of you are filling in the creek. Now look around right now. Look, look at this community of believers. We look different, right? We smell different. <laughs> some of our hair is done different. Some don't have hair. That's all right. We're dressed differently. We come from different backgrounds, all kinds of stuff. Yet we are here in commonality because of Jesus Christ. We are the family of God. We are family because of Christ. I grew up singing an old song as a kid by Bill and Gloria Gaither. And you know, this is way back then, but it's like, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know, I'll spare you the rest. That's okay. But we, we, we're family here right now, guys, right? Kind of, kind of like, you know, I'm reminded right now, Sister Sledge sang in the, the late 70s, we are family, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? guys like that falsetto? I'll save more for that in another message, but that's okay. We are family, everybody, and it's so cool. And it's good to get together. I enjoy seeing you all. I really do. You may not enjoy seeing me, and I get that. It's all right. But I love getting together with you all. I love coming all the time because I get to see you guys. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean that. I'm the son. I'm a PK. My father has been a pastor all my life. Dude, I, my life revolved around the church. It was centered around the church. And it, we were always at the church. And, dude, the people of God, yeah, they can be ugly. They're imperfect. The, things can happen. But they're just beautiful. You are beautiful. Because <laughs> you're free in Christ if you've said yes to him. And I love it. Man, I, when I went, man, I, I look for. Uh, man, all week long, I look forward to this day because I get to see you guys. I get to see you. I often think, man, it's like I, a lot of you are on my mind all throughout the week, you know, and I know we have social media and stuff, but man, I just, I love it. Look how David, excited David was. He wrote Psalm 133, verse 1. He said, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell 
in unity. Like it's good, it's pleasant. The bond of unity and togetherness. Christians are like coals of fire, guys. Listen, together we're going to glow and apart we're going to grow cold. I love a good fire. How many like look of a good fire? Now some of you guys are like, oh, I'm here now, man. I love a fire. You, you separate the coals and the charred wood, and guess what? Eventually it's all going to cold down. It's going to, you know, but you put it together, it's going to keep on burning. Believers are like that. This is that in our text, the stirring up one another to, to love and good works. When we're together, we're stirring each other up. Like when you stoke the fire and you stir the fire up, it brings the heatness and the hot. That's what we're doing at church and in life groups, guys. We need each other. It's relationship, not religion. That was a real trendy, you know, uh, Christian phrase. But that's the truth. It's relationship, not religion. Church used to be this highly social gathering and event. I, a matter of fact, just I think it was Friday, somebody, a friend of mine posted on Facebook, they showed this old picture of, of, a, of a white steepled church I would say the picture is probably maybe in the late 40s, early 50s. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cars. Everybody getting out. I mean, it was like there was no space to park. And, and the, the thought was, back in the day, I mean, it, it was the social event of the week. People came to church. Not that church is a social club. And there are churches that that's their kind of method. Let's make it very social, almost like a club. It's not that. It's community. We should be finding community here together. You know, it saddens me because for far too long, and again, please understand my heart as a pastor, I feel that so many of they treat church and gathering just to this Sunday morning only kind of thing, and then they will leave, and they have no other connection with the body of Christ, really, until the following Sunday. And they don't partake in community. Man, that's ne God, Jesus never designed it to be that way. You look at the early church, they were gathering together every single day together. But yet we're so content to say, Sunday, see ya, I'll see you next Sunday. Oh. That's why life groups here at the creek are so vital because that's the heart of community. Sunday mornings, come, you know, we got about an hour and a half, hour and 15. It, we, it comes and goes so fast. You come in, you check in, you get your kids, you get your cup of hope coffee, you sit down, you do worship, you hear the word taught, exegeted and preached, then you leave, you shake hands, and you're out for lunch. It's really quick. But at the life groups, man, community has really happened. In the life groups, yeah, we sit, we talk, we laugh, we cry, we visit, we share, we help each other, we pray for each other, right? Yeah. Life groups, hanging out, student ministry on Wednesday night, now uh, team kid on Wednesday night. These are connecting points from Sunday to Sunday. They're so important, so important. In the Old Testament, David loved the community of believers. Don't miss out on that huge aspect of church. And it's true what they say. This is just practice for all eternity, gang. One day, we're going to be with Christ forever and ever, for all of eternity. 
So if you don't like gathering with believers now, you may want to get working on that, okay? <laughs> if you don't like fellow brothers and sisters in Christ right now, you may need to adapt and get learning because you're going to be with us for a long time. Sorry, you're stuck with me, okay? And all my craziness, all right? Let's get moving. The, the fifth reason going to church can, it's so important. It can be a wonderfully good habit and a way of life, Okay. I mean, when you, when you study the Word of God, going to the synagogue and temple, you know, in the New Testament, it, that was a normal way of life in the New Testament. It was normal for Jesus to be in the, um, just use it loosely, church regularly. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, his routine, his normal way of life, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It was normal. Gathering together was a normal way of life for the believers in the early church. I just mentioned this verse, but let's read it together. Acts 2, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There's the original method, church and small groups. <laughs> and food was involved. I hope you notice that, all right? Yeah. But see, there was a consistency, uh, consistency here. This was their life. Listen to this. It wasn't optional for them. It wasn't optional. It's church gathering, and again, I know I'm speaking to the crowd, but, but think to yourself, is this a consistent part of your life? If we're patterning our lives like Jesus and becoming his disciples, just like with Jesus and the early church, it should be. We just read the command in Hebrews to gather. It's a command that we assemble together. And that writer of our text in Hebrews said that some were not in the habit of getting together. There was an inconsistency there. There was a lack of priority there. There was a lack of importance of getting together. Believe me, this, this needs to be a good habit in your life. Because sadly, it can be one that can get, you, can, you can get out of this habit very, very easily. And, and I've, I've seen this. I've seen this. You miss a little here. You miss a little there. Next thing you know, life is a mess. And it's not good. Sometimes I often wonder if we fail to think that if non-consistent church attendance is, is actually dishonoring God. Well, that's a strong statement to say, but listen, when we say things like, well, I'm going to do it my way this week, I don't feel like going. I know what God's word says, but I'm just, I'm too exhausted. It's my sleep in time. It's time for me to catch Z's, okay? I did too much on Saturday. I was up way too late. I'm too busy to go. I've got way too many other things, a host of other excuses, okay? What is our heart really saying to the Lord? And I understand that we have jobs. I, I can't get out of working hardly on Sunday at all. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Sheesh, the pressure. No. <laughs> but, but people have jobs. They have to work on Sundays now. A sickness happens. There's, there's, there's other things that, you know, we can't get out of in our society. I'm not talking about those things. But here's what I'm saying. When we can be at church and we just excuse it away, what are we really saying to the Lord? What, what is our heart saying to God, okay? And, and, and I realize in, in gathering anymore today is not just in person, but it's online as well. 
It's for you that are watching online as well, right? Gathering on a consistent basis, it honors God, period. Let's get to number six. Corporate worship is not optional. That, that, that's, 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 that's what that number five was. It's just not optional, okay? So number six, and this is very, very quick. I'll, I'll just hit this and go. Our consistent church attendance or lack of it, I believe, is a measurement of our heart. Number five led to six. It's like a thermometer. I truly believe it, it can gauge our heart for the Lord just like our giving can, okay? Just like our giving can. Jesus talks about the treasure of our heart, you know? It, it's, that, it's that same stuff. That's it, the same rule applies there. Especially like with giving and coming. What, what holds your heart, God or something or someone else, okay? Greg, you're just, just getting silly now. No, I'm not. Because when you get out of the consistent habit of coming to church, it will affect you in a negative way. I promise you. It will affect you in a negative way. Because you're not around fellow believers. You're not praying together. You're not hearing God's word proclaimed. You know, trust me, your attitude's going to be uh, affected. Well, we need to be like David in the Old Testament when he wrote Psalm 5, verse 7, chapter 5, verse 7. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter your house. I will worship at your temple with deepest awe. And that, that's how I want to come on Sundays. A deep awe about what God is going to do in my life. Jake, we didn't mention the, the come up. You, you can come up now with the band, man. Point number seven. You can play loudly behind me. That lets me know I got to wrap this up quick. <laughs> but the, the, the next to the last point in regards to the value and importance of church is this. And I, and I kind of highlighted this last week with not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In this thing on Sunday mornings and even in your life groups, there can be wonderful times of personal revival, times of refreshing, times of salvation. Look, look we're all human in here, at least I hope so. You know what I'm saying? Just getting to know some of you, but no. We're all human. We all have our anxieties. We all have our struggles, our worries. We all have our stress in this race of life. You listening this morning, watching online, oftentimes you feel bogged down by life, stressed out to the max, worn out. You know, it's just, yeah, it's dog-eat-dog, and it's just, what a horrible phrase that is. I just thought of that. Whoever came up with that is horrible. But it's just grind and grind away. I talked about that last week. And oftentimes we think we're about to sink under the pressure and collapse with exhaustion. And we, we just want rest for our weary souls, right? I love that word, rest. Such a beautiful word. And I know that when we have, and it's very important that you, you find this rest in your personal devotions and time and prayer and scriptures. But whoa, man, when we're together, when faith is strong because we are together corporately in a multitude, when, when, we, when we encourage each other with a word or a smile or a gesture or a wave or a handshake, when we realize together that we're corporately the family of God, when we know that God's with us, when the worship songs are flowing, right? When the word of God is being expounded on, when the anointing of God is falling, when brothers and sisters are agreeing in prayer, when we gather and lay hands on each other and pray for each other, 
There's personal revival. There's refreshing. There's renewing like nothing else. Like nothing else. Every time the doors are open, God is waiting for hungry people, thirsty people, tired people, exhausted people, stressed out people, sick people, spiritually and physically, weighed down people, seeking people, worn down people and souls to come in and just to find Jesus and to hear him say these words in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Rest. I challenge you, don't come on Sundays and just go through the motions. Find rest for your souls. Leave pumped up. Listen, if you ever come and, and you leave just like you came and not change, you leave just as burdened, you haven't done it right. And that's on you. Be a, a participant in what God wants to do, okay? My last very very important point to remember, and this, this is vital, this is what I want to close on. We need to see church gathering as a privilege. Again, this is a privilege, guys. David was excited because he got to go. He had the privilege of going to the house of the Lord. We get to do this thing called church on Sundays. Yes. We get to gather in life groups. We get to hang out together in the freedom that Christ gives us. And trust me, there are many in the world all around us who would love to have what we have, this privilege. There's many in the world, they don't have this privilege like we do. Instead, they, they meet under suspicion. They meet under the threat of violence. They meet under the threat of arrest or worse, the threat of disappearance. Even right now, as I'm speaking, there are groups of people who are meeting maybe in the crawl space of a house to read the Word of God. They're meeting in a private secluded room hoping no one finds them. In order to worship the Lord. I've read stories from Voice of the Martyrs ministry of a pastor. He's riding his bike to go preach the word of God. He's jumped because he's a believer. He's beaten almost to death. And you know what he does? He got on his bike and continued to go speak the word of God. Facing imminent threat. They don't have the privilege that we give. Yet we so many times just treat this privilege nonchalantly. We take it for granted knowing that, hey, next Sunday, it's going to be here again. Nah, it's okay. I don't have to, it's not that big of a deal to me this Sunday because next Sunday, it's going to be here again. Listen, we only have 52 times to gather on Sunday morning. That's it. 52 Sundays in a year. Don't let the privilege slip away. Be like David and say each week, I was glad. I'm going to be full of cheer. I'm going to be full of joy. Be determined, be consistent, be committed. Hope you received this message today. It's an encouragement, a reminder, a challenge. Hebrews 10, 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
God, we just come before you this morning, and I thank you for your word. Thank you for this very important passage in Hebrews. Thank you for the verses of David, God, that really shows his heart regarding gathering together, going to your house. And I pray that, Holy Spirit, right now, you would just encourage us. Let this message be an encouragement. There's some God, I mean, they're here. As soon as the door opens, they're here. As soon as the, the service starts, they're streaming online. Never, ever miss. Let it be an encouragement, Lord. Let it be a reminder for all of us why we do this thing, why it's so important. And then let it be a challenge, God, for us to consistently commit. Because we're not doing this for people, we're doing this for you, Lord. This is practice for when we're going to be with you and worshiping you for all eternity. I pray, God, right now that for those that are here this morning and they're watching online, and God, they're just tired, they're worn out, they are exhausted, they're ready just to go home and lay back down and sleep the rest of the day away. Lord, refresh them right now. Just pour into them right now. Let them feel your presence move in their heart, move in their life. Speak to them in their inner soul, God. Give them the encouragement that they need. That you're with them, Lord. Resupply them. Refill them. Give them that endurance, Lord, that we talked about last week. We pray these things in your, your Son, Jesus' name, Heavenly Father. Amen. Amen. You guys receive this message? Uh, I don't want to receive any hate mail, okay, or hate emails. Just, hey, I do love all of you guys. Even those, I'm some, still meeting some of you guys. Listen, you guys mean a lot to me and Megan. And you guys, this church, this is you. Fellowship of Oso Creek is you. Without you, there is no Fellowship of Oso Creek. So just remember that. Listen, I'm going to be standing back there at the On Mission dock after the announcements are given and we sing the last song. If you need prayer for anything, Come pray with me. I know if anybody wants to join me to pray for people, we will be back there. You're tired. You want prayer for anything. We'd love to agree with you in prayer because that's why we gather here today. Man, let's sing this one last song. Let's close out. Thank you.